This is the Lions Unchained podcast, where the shackles of your mind are broken. It's not for the faint-hearted, but the chosen few who've embraced the call to leadership, dare to venture where others will not, and believe in God's supernatural power. Join Carl Joseph now for a life-changing word. Get ready to be unleashed into your destiny. I'm going to throw quite a bit of information at you today from various sources. It's some stuff that I've come across during my study time, and I'd like to share it with you. Much of this should be quite interesting, but most of all, it validates the biblical narrative and accuracy of the modern Bible translations. The story I'm going to tell you is true, and it sounds like something right out of an Indiana Jones movie or a mystery adventure by Nancy Drew, but it's true. In the spring of 1947, Bedouin goat herders searching the cliffs along the Dead Sea for a lost goat, or for treasure depending on who is telling the story, came upon a cave containing jars filled with manuscripts. That find caused a sensation when it was released to the world and continues to fascinate the scholarly community and the public to this day. These Dead Sea Scrolls, as they came to be called, were most likely written by the Essenes during the period from 200 BC to 68 AD. The Essenes are mentioned by Josephus and in a few other sources, but not in the New Testament. The Essenes were a strict Torah-observant, messianic, wilderness, New Covenant Jewish sect. They were led by a priest called the Teacher of Righteousness, who opposed and possibly was killed by the establishment priesthood in Jerusalem. The first discoveries came to the attention of scholars in 1948 when seven of the scrolls were sold by the Bedouin herder to a cobbler and antiquities dealer called Kando. The cave in which the scrolls were discovered was 13 miles east of Jerusalem. There are now identified among the scrolls 19 copies of the book of Isaiah, 25 copies of Deuteronomy, and 30 copies of the Psalms. Prophecies by Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Daniel not found in the Bible are written in the scrolls. Now, it's interesting that the early church father, Oregon, in about the 3rd century AD, mentioned that there were Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that had been stored in jars in caves near Jericho. Also, in the 9th century, a patriarch of the Eastern Church, Timothy I, wrote a letter to Sergius, the Archbishop of Elam, in which he too referred to a large number of Hebrew manuscripts seen in a cave near Jericho. So there was always a rumor that perhaps there were still hidden manuscripts out there in the wilderness to be discovered. Now, Kando, the dealer, sold three of the scrolls to Hebrew University in Jerusalem and four to the Syrian Orthodox Monastery of St. Mark. These four visited the shores of the USA, the American School of Oriental Research, where they came to the attention of American and European scholars. Further search of Cave 1 revealed archaeological finds of pottery, cloth, and wood, as well as a number of additional manuscript fragments. It was these discoveries that proved decisively that the scrolls were indeed ancient and authentic. Why am I telling you all this? Just keep listening a little while longer. 
between 1949 and 1956 in what became a race between the Bedouin and the archaeologists, 10 additional caves, or 11 in total, were found in the hills around Qumran. Caves that yielded several more scrolls, as well as thousands of fragments of scrolls. They contained the remnants of approximately 800 manuscripts dating from 200 BC to 68 AD. Within those manuscripts was the book of Isaiah, from beginning to end, apart from from a few small damaged portions. Many believe these copies date back to 335 BC, several hundred years before Christ was born. Check this out. This manuscript is almost identical to the Hebrew Bible we currently have in our possession, with only a few minor grammatical changes, and it became part of the King James Bible. In other words, this 2,400-year-old manuscript of the book of Isaiah matches our modern Bibles word for word, barring some grammatical changes. Friend, this is a very powerful testimony as to the preserving power of God's word throughout the millennia. The book of Isaiah has remained unblemished and intact. I said all of that to say that God is awesome. Consider this preservation of his holy word. Scholars believe that when the Roman Emperor Titus sacked Jerusalem in 66 AD, the scribes and Pharisees hid some of these scrolls away to preserve God's word later to be discovered. Isn't it ironic that these scrolls were discovered months before Israel became a nation in 1948? God's timing was perfect. Validation of the ancient text in unison with the birth of Israel once again shows God's miraculous sense of timing and his promise to restore Israel as a nation in the latter days. So let's look at the book of Isaiah in particular. Isaiah was a prophet. He ministered to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, and his contemporaries were Micah and Hosea. Did you know this book consists of 66 chapters and there are 66 books in the Bible? Isaiah is like a miniature Bible because the first 39 chapters, like the 39 chapters of the Old Testament, are filled with judgment upon immoral and adulterous men. The final 27 chapters, like the books of the New Testament, of which there are 27, declare a message of hope. The word salvation occurs 27 times in this book and only 7 times in all of the other prophets combined. Isaiah was, of course, a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had fallen many years earlier into captivity to Assyria and so Isaiah spent most of his time in Jerusalem. Talmudic tradition states that Isaiah's persecutors sawed him in half during the reign of Manasseh. Uh, there's an allusion to that in Hebrews 11.37. And four kings served during Isaiah's long tenure, which lasted 60 years. The book of Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In the Old Testament alone, there are over 300 different prophecies pointing to Christ's first coming. But perhaps Isaiah chapter 53 is the most powerful of all, and for that reason it is known as the redemption chapter. Now the term redemption means to buy back. It is the liberation of any possession, object, or person, usually by payment of a ransom. In the Greek, the word means to loose and to set free. In theological terms, it means being freed from slavery, prison, or chains, and freed from sin with the ransom paid. Now the death of the Messiah is seen by the New Testament scholars to be the fulfillment of all the factors regarding the death of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, this chapter. Just as the suffering of the servant ended in death after scourging, mockery, and crucifixion, so too Jesus died. 
Just as the suffering servant was treated as a criminal and died a criminal's death, so Jesus, by dying a death by means of crucifixion, died a criminal's death along with two other criminals. The death of the suffering servant was a result of a judicial sentencing and a judicial judgment. Let's read a portion of this redemptive chapter now. I'm reading from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The suffering of Jesus Christ was foretold by Isaiah the prophet. A sinless one would come, He would be beaten beyond recognition, but the sins of all of us, our iniquities, our sicknesses, and our diseases were laid upon him. It wasn't the Jews or Romans who are to blame for killing Jesus. We are. And Jesus voluntarily went to the cross to redeem us from our sin. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness, that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. In verse 5, it says he was bruised for our iniquities. The most modern version of the word iniquity is rebellion. Not everyone has committed adultery. Not everyone's gotten drunk. But there is one thing we all have in common. We have all gone our own way. We have all gone astray. Therefore, all Jews, Catholics, Protestants, Episcopalians, Asians, Africans, Caucasians, African Americans are all rebels. Unless they are born again and receive newness of life, they will not go to heaven. Friend, the word applies to everyone equally. The Bible says Jesus actually became sin on the cross. Some would contend that because Jesus never experienced failure in his life, his sacrifice was incomplete. But no, friend, because he became sin, then we are now able to become the righteousness of God. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, talking of Christ, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have to understand that the word for iniquity in the Hebrew is avon. It not only means rebellion, but all the evil consequences of rebellion, punishment, and guilt that goes along with it. Remember what Cain said after he murdered Abel in Genesis 4.13. Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Why did he feel guilty? He felt rightfully convicted by the Holy Spirit and condemned by Satan. The sin of murder not only affects this generation, but the one to come, because it also murders the future progeny that could have been spawned from the victim. Blood has a voice, my friend. The Lord himself said that the blood of Abel cried out to him. Well, you might say, I can understand that. Cain's a murderer. I would never do a thing like that. Yes, but the Apostle John raised the bar, my friend. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 John 3.15, he said, Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Friend, if we allow hate to abide in our hearts over the long term, we need to be careful, because no murder has been committed without meditating upon the thought of murder first, or at least imagining it. 
A true believer lets go of offense and moves on. Don't let those things fester in your heart, friend. We need to guard our hearts because out of it are the issues of life. If you have unforgiveness festering in you right now, I urge you to let it go. Get rid of it. Don't spend another day in such condemnation. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. We deserve punishment for our iniquity and our rebellion towards God. Christ shed his blood and took our punishment. We deserved it. We don't really want to hear it, but it's true. We learn from Isaiah 53 that the Lord God laid on his suffering servant the rebellion of us all and the evil consequences of that rebellion. My friend, 700 years before Christ fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. His exploits were already embedded within the scroll of the great prophet Isaiah. No other religion boasts of the plethora of prophetic utterances that Christianity does. The God of Christianity said where he was going to be born, when he was going to be born, and how he was going to be born hundreds of years in advance. The probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of these 353 prophecies of his first coming would be one in 10 to the power of 17. That's one in 100 million million. Think about that, my friend. The chances, just it just can't happen by chance. Think about it. No other religion can hold claim to the fulfillment of such rich promises and validates the unique truth of Christianity above all other religions. Our God truly breathed his life into the scriptures and there is none like him. The Dead Sea Scrolls provide yet another proof of the integrity of God's Word in the modern era. In fact, the discovery of the scrolls in caves near the Dead Sea in 1947 is considered by many scholars to be the most important manuscript discovery of modern times. The Dead Sea Scrolls provide a new background against which one can study the New Testament and the beginnings of Christianity with greater understanding and confidence that when we read the pages of our Bible, it actually is the Word of God. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who has witnessed God's miraculous power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl covers topics such as geopolitics, current affairs, cults, societal trends, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button.